MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 4th, 2021. Today, Matt Gates is now being investigated for obstruction of justice as a judge officially accepts Joel Greenberg's plea agreement. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy is officially under investigation by the FBI for campaign finance violations. The Trump administration secretly seized phone records of New York Times reporters. Texas is seeking to evict migrant children from state shelters. And Rep. Mo Brooks is hiding from Eric Swalwell. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. Lots of news today. Some good, some weird, some bad. Amy will be joining me later. Amy Carrero, voice of Shira on Netflix, will be joining me later for the good news. And I'll also be talking to the author of Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World, Shelley Tagelski. But before we get to the news, I want to take a moment to thank Jane Lynch. This week, it was suggested that I needed a co-host for the resurrected podcast Muller She Wrote, which comes out on Sundays. She sent me a text and she said, it is my opinion that you do not need a co-host on Muller She Wrote. Okay, maybe you talk fast. Maybe take a breath. I don't know but it doesn't bother me one bit. Your insights and ability to communicate these issues with such clarity and passion is your gift. I don't want anyone interrupting you or regulating you. That is my opinion. XOXO from Jane Lynch. So I will not be adding a co-host to Muller She Wrote. And thank you to Jane Lynch for your support and your kind words. My, My goal is to pay that forward. And if you love Jane Lynch as much as I do, follow her on Twitter at Jane Marie Lynch. And consider a donation to Direct Relief. You can follow them at Direct Relief on Twitter. They deliver a world of good to people in emergency and crisis situations. They have a very high rating from uh, Charity Nav, which is a group that kind of, you know, gives scores to, to charities and how they spend their money. Again, that's Direct Relief. So check that out. And thank you again, Jane, so much for your kind words. I can't tell you how much they mean to me. And everyone, you can catch Muller She Wrote every Sunday morning. This week I'll be covering a fine that David Pecker has to pay. Yep, we're going to be have Pecker is back in the news. We're going to talk about the sale of the lease on the Trump D.C. downtown hotel again. We're going to talk about a new class in, in college. I think it's at UVA about the Mueller investigation featuring Mueller himself. And of course, Flynn's call for a coup in the United States, as well as the Fantasy Indictment League. We're going to dust that off as we have been for the last four weeks. And I have a very special guest, former Watergate prosecutor Jill Weinbanks. And patrons, you can join us this afternoon at 4 p.m. Pacific for our weekly Zoom happy hour. We have a lot of pretty great news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. The lead story today is the ongoing saga of milkshake Matt Gates. Federal prosecutors are now examining whether Matt Gates obstructed justice during a phone call he had with a witness in the sex crimes investigation of a Florida congressman. That's according to two sources familiar with the case. The witness in question was one of a handful of women who entered Gates's orbit via his one-time wingman, quote-unquote, former Seminole County, Florida tax collector Joel Greenberg, who has pleaded guilty to a host of crimes, including sex trafficking a 17-year-old in 2017. It's of note that a judge officially accepted Joel Greenberg's plea agreement today, Thursday. The obstruction inquiry apparently stems from a phone call this witness had with Gates's ex-girlfriend. At some point during the conversation, 
the ex-girlfriend patched Gates into the call. Yeah, it was pretty bitchy, but uh, I'm not mad. I mean, I guess she just likes the attention. Secret, I told you she's not mad at you. I can't believe you think I like attention. Okay, love ya. See you tomorrow. I had survived my first three-way calling attack. While it is unknown exactly what was said, the discussion on that call is central to whether prosecutors can charge Gates with obstructing justice, which makes it illegal to suggest that a witness in a criminal case lie or give misleading testimony. Or, you know, if you intimidate them. A spokesperson for Gates provided a written statement that said the congressman, who was an attorney, broke no laws and characterized the federal government's investigation as politically motivated and a fishing expedition. Quote, Congressman Gates pursues justice. He doesn't obstruct it. The anonymous allegations have thus far amounted to lies wrapped in leaks rooted in an extortion plot by a former DOJ official. After two months, there is still not a single on-record accusation of misconduct. And now the quote-unquote story is changing yet again. As for Gates pursuing justice as opposed to obstructing it, we should probably get the guy off the Judiciary Committee, which oversees, among other things, the investigation into him. And as for the part where this spokesperson said, there is still not a single on-record accusation of misconduct, and now the story is changing yet again, that's how investigations work, fucko. If you don't want the story to change, quit criming. Stop breaking the law, asshole! Brian Tannenbaum, a veteran federal defense attorney, was briefed by Politico on this investigation, and he said the obstruction of justice is, quote, widely used by prosecutors in various forms and can even ensnare witnesses who lie on the stand at trial. He said that if authorities recorded the call involving Gates, prosecutors will listen for signs that he's trying to get the woman to, quote, get her story straight by shading the truth. If there's any indication he was trying to influence her testimony, that can be obstruction. And if it's determined that what he said obstructed the investigation, quote, did what he tell you have any influence on your testimony before a grand jury, for example, that's a real problem. The former Gates girlfriend who was on the call in question is seeking an immunity deal. This is the buried lead. She's seeking that immunity deal from prosecutors and has expressed fears to friends that she too may have run afoul of an obstruction of justice charge because she told friends she feared the alleged trafficking victim may have recorded her in another phone call. Though Gates' ex-girlfriend has not signed an immunity deal yet, she might do so by the end of the month. That's according to insiders who have firsthand knowledge of the investigation. And they also say July could be the prime time for the congressman to be indicted if there's enough evidence against him. So happy summer. Former U.S. attorney and past guest here on the pod, Joyce Vance, says of the news, the reporting is interesting because the federal statute that makes it a crime to try to intimidate a witness doesn't require you to be successful. The witness does not have to be known to law enforcement at the time the intimidation is made. The activity in and of itself could substantiate charges against the congressman. And she went on to say, it's always the cover up. You'd think they'd learn. And some more investigation news. The FBI is investigating Postmaster General Louis DeJoy in connection with campaign fundraising activity involved in his former business, as according to people familiar with the matter. We talked about this. We talked about these straw donations back in September on this show. FBI agents in recent weeks interviewed current and former employees of DeJoy and the business asking questions about political contributions and company activities. Prosecutors also issued a subpoena to DeJoy himself for information. In early September, as we said, Washington Post published an extensive examination of how employees at the former company that DeJoy owned, North Carolina-based New Breed Logistics, alleged they were pressured by DeJoy or his aides to attend political fundraisers or make contributions to Republican candidates, and then they were paid back through bonuses. Such reimbursements could run afoul of state and federal laws, 
which prohibit straw donor schemes meant to allow wealthy donors to evade individual contribution limits and obscure the source of the candidate's money. You're buying contributions for other people. You'll recall Mueller indicted Sam Patton for straw donations he made to Trump's inaugural. But heads up, he only got 30 days. So don't expect an indictment to send a joy away for any substantial amount of time unless the investigation finds other criminal liability. More importantly, this should push the one Dem holdout, the one Democratic holdout on the Postal Board of Governors to join the other Dems and vote to oust DeJoy. Seems like an easy choice to not want a postmaster general under federal investigation. Asked Thursday about the development, whether Biden believed DeJoy should step down, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, said Biden would leave the investigation and the process to the Department of Justice. And keep in mind, the federal law banning straw donor schemes has a five-year statute of limitations, which could complicate this because the employees who spoke to the Post last year described donations they gave between 2003 and 2014, the year when Newbreed was acquired by a Connecticut-based company called XPO Logistics. DeJoy remained at XPO briefly in an executive role and retired at the end of 2015, which is six years ago, though he was then appointed to the company's board of directors, where he served until 2018. But between 2015 and 2018, campaign finance records show several instances of XPO employees contributing to the same candidate or committee during the same period of time and often in similar amounts. And that DeJoy family members, including DeJoy's college-aged children, also made contributions on the same day or in the same period as those employees. So if you don't stop criming, the statute of limitations doesn't start ticking. And I don't think they'd be questioning witnesses this year and subpoenaing DeJoy right now if the statute of limitations had definitely told. Mark Corallo, a DeJoy spokesman, confirmed the investigation in a statement but insisted DeJoy had not knowingly violated any laws. Now, if the name Corallo sounds familiar, that's a Trump spokesperson that quit after learning that Trump contributed to Don Jr.'s statement responding to press questions about the good old Trump Tower meeting because, and Corallo quit because he, that smells like obstruction of justice. Corallo has also been represented by DeGeneva and Tonzig. That's, those are Furtosh people uh, with the Parnas and Fruman show. And, uh, and we know Tonzig just had her phone seized the same day Rudy Giuliani was raided. And Corallo's no stranger to straw donor schemes either. He's the longtime spokesperson for Lebanese-Nigerian billionaire Gilbert Shaguri, who recently agreed to pay the U.S. government $1.8 million to resolve allegations in straw donor schemes routing illegal foreign contributions to U.S. campaigns. Also in the news today, the Trump Justice Department secretly seized the phone records of four New York Times reporters spanning nearly four months in 2017 as part of a leak investigation. Biden disclosed this on Wednesday. It was the latest in a series of revelations about the Trump administration secretly obtaining reporters' communications records in an effort to uncover their sources. Last month, the Biden Justice Department also disclosed Trump-era seizures of the phone logs of reporters who worked for The Post, Washington Post, and the phone and email logs for a CNN reporter. The DOJ didn't say which article was being investigated, but the lineup of reporters and the timing suggests that the leak investigation related to classified information reported in an April 22, 2017 article. The four reporters wrote about how James B. Comey, former FBI director, handled politically charged investigations during the 2016 presidential election. Discussing Mr. Comey's unorthodox decision to announce in July 2016 that the FBI was recommending against charging Hillary Clinton in relation to her use of a private email server to conduct government business, while Secretary of State 
The April 2017 article mentioned a document obtained from Russia by hackers working for Dutch intelligence officials. The document, whose existence was classified, was said to have played a key role in Comey's thinking about the Clinton case. Interesting. And yet in other news, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has instructed state officials to end contracts with the Biden administration for shelters in the state that hold migrant children and teenagers who've been arriving alone to the southwest border. The order could affect thousands of migrant children waiting to be united with family members or other sponsors in the United States and could create a new public relations challenge for Biden. The directive, which is part of a disaster declaration, applies to agreements between state licensed shelters for children and the Department of Health and Human Services. There are more than 50 of these shelters in Texas. If the governor actually implements the order, it would displace more than 4,000 children. And in insurrection news, the redacted name in the recent 13-count superseding indictment of Oath Keepers for conspiracy has been revealed as Jonathan Walden and three more names have have been added to that list. Joseph Hackett, Jason Dolan, and William Isaacs. Walden, the newly unredacted name, was asked to join the group's plans for January 6th, noting he's a former firefighter and has a canine trained for security patrol, an 82-pound German shepherd named Warrior. Hackett and Isaacs were reported among those who moved Ranger file through the crowd. Remember that military stack? They were relying on a military formation to push their way into the building. Interestingly enough, I commented the day it happened. I said, look at these guys. Look at these guys. These guys are coordinated. They're together. They, they're conspiring to do this. I think a lot of these guys are probably ex-military. This looks like a military stack formation to me. Everyone was like, you're fucking crazy. Like, oh, really? Well, here they are being indicted for conspiracy with Oath Keepers. The other 12 co-defendants in the case have pleaded not guilty. And speaking of insurrection, Republican Rep. Mo Brooks is avoiding a lawsuit from his Democratic colleague, Swalls, or Eric Swalwell, Biggie Swalls, that seeks to, this, this lawsuit seeks to hold him accountable for the insurrection. So much so, he's, he's, he's ditching this, that Swalwell's attorney had to hire a PI, a private investigator, to find him, to find a congressman. <laughs> Isn't he showing up for votes? I, this is... This is weird to me. The details, maybe you can't be served on the floor of Congress or something. I don't know. But this detail comes in a court filing Wednesday in which Swalwell's attorneys describe difficulty in serving Brooks with the lawsuit. A CNN has reached out to Brooks' office for comment, haven't returned. Federal Judge Amit Mehta, after learning of Swalwell's inability to serve Brooks with the lawsuit, gave the Democrats' legal team another 60 days to get Brooks with their formal notification. The judge, however, will not allow the U.S. Marshals to deliver the lawsuit to the Republican congressman due to separation of powers concerns. Interesting. That's according to Meta, he wrote in his decision, after Swalwell asked for the U.S. Marshals Service's help. After Swalwell sued in March, his attorneys tried to reach the Alabama Republican through calls to the congressman's office and by sending a letter to formally provide him notice he'd been sued. This is a necessary step in this type of court proceeding. When they couldn't get him, they couldn't find him, Swalwell's legal team hired a PI. Other defendants in the suit, including Trump, Trump Jr. and Giuliani, have already responded with their arguments in court, saying they can't be blamed for the actions of the rioters. Meta will be primed to consider their arguments and whether Swalwell's lawsuit should be dismissed beginning in late July. That's the time frame. Kind of right around the time Matt Gates would be indicted if he's guilty of shit. July is going to be interesting. If the judge allows the lawsuit to continue... Swalwell's team will be able to begin seeking documents and interviews with key individuals, including potentially the Trumps and Giuliani. We could be deposed. All right, everybody, I'll be right back with the author of the book, Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World, Shelley Tegelski. Please stay with me. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's Allison. I've got a huge announcement for all the hardcore cereal lovers out there. Today's episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon, the delicious but healthy cereal that brings joy to your mornings, afternoons, midnight snack times. If you're like me, you love a tasty bowl of cereal, but not all the sugar and chemicals and carbs. You have to try Magic Spoon. Longtime listeners know my favorite food growing up is always cereal. It is so delicious. But that sweetness is just from an insane amount of sugar and chemicals and additives and other junk that I, 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 I avoid now as an adult. But recently I got to try Magic Spoon. It tastes exactly like cereal from your childhood, but it's super nutritious. It magically has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four net grams of carbs, and only 140 calories a serving. It is deep breath, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. I love the great new flavors. Combining them is amazing, too. You can mix cocoa with peanut butter, and it's, you know, peanut butter cup. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use promo code dailybeans at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in the product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund all your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans, all one word, to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by the author of the forthcoming book called Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World. It is due out October 12th, but it's available for pre-sale now. Please welcome the author, Shelley Tagelski. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. It is good to see you again. And now we're, we're inching closer to the release of the book. And I'm so excited about this. And uh, I wanted to talk today about a couple of things. First of all, you are widely known uh, for and praised, including being featured on CNN Heroes, which is amazing. As the founder of the thing we talked about the last time you were on the show, which is called Pandemic of Love, and you you created it shortly after COVID began because you wanted to have an economic impact on your community. So tell us about that organization again. Remind us of uh, Pandemic of Love. Sure. So Pandemic of Love is a um, mutual aid community. It's grassroots. It's community-based. It is all volunteer-led. Um, we've been called by Forbes. Um, they, they actually call this a nonprofit disruptor, which means that we have figured out a way to directly impact communities in, in a way that is much more efficient than what many nonprofits can do, you know, in a, in a time of crisis, right? And so what mutual aid is, is really simple. It's just basically people who have resources are able to get matched with people who have a need. And initially when I started this, you know, 14 months ago, uh, at a time of disconnection, the only way that people could kind of transact was financially, right? Helping people with groceries and uh, pharmacy needs and essentials, uh, utility bills, et cetera, rent. And what's happened is that now as the pandemic is starting to um, hopefully continue to taper off, uh, these communities have realized all these chapters that have formed over 280 of them now in 16 countries have realized that having this safety net, this community of care is so essential, even in times after crisis and certainly in times before crisis, because there's always another crisis around the corner, right? So it's a, it's a question of just having this platform in place to always be able to create this redistribution of wealth and to define wealth 
really in a broad manner, not just a financial wealth, right? A lot of people have time poverty. They have data poverty. There's food insecurity. There's so many different needs that people have. And every single human being on this planet has something that they can offer. You know, we still think about it in that way. So even if you don't have the socioeconomic ability to assist somebody financially, you still have something you can offer to this world. Yeah. And I love it because you're just essentially eliminating the middleman. You're taking out the administrative arm that sucks a bunch of money out of the money that needs to exchange hands. Yeah. Uh, and and I love that they call you a Forbes called you a, a nonprofit disruptor pretty much for that reason. And I also uh, want to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned in times of non-crisis. Yeah. You know, people are like, why can't we just do this all the time? Nonprofits exist all the time. Right. Right. But they add that extra multiple bureaucratic steps in the middle to just redistribute uh, wealth and, and not just money wealth, but like you said, all kinds of intangible needs as well. And so I think that now that you, like you said, we're coming out of COVID, this can continue on and sort of be reborn into a, into a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a great book uh, that really inspired me years ago when I read it. It came out, I think like over a decade ago, it was called A Paradise Built in Hell. And it really examines um, just, you know, how a lot of really great organizations and things have come out of these times of crisis. So like the Red Cross was started like in the act, like aftermath of a war or during a war, I should say. And, you know, all of these public hospitals, like the Baptist health system was, was, was founded after like a a pandemic actually, right. The Spanish flu. So there was all of these really great uh, things that continued to occur and happen uh, long after the, the, the crises were over. And so, you know, in the book, the, the, the author writes, uh, I think her name's Rebecca Skolnick writes, um, why is it that if somebody, if our neighbor is worthy of being fed during a time of crisis, do we not take a step back then and ask ourselves, why weren't they worthy before the crisis? And mm-hmm. why aren't they worthy after the crisis? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. like, you know, mind blowing for me. Yeah. And not to mention, like you said, there's going to be another crisis. <laughs> so yeah. uh, why why are the in-between times? Why do we all let each other go yeah. and only come back together during? And it, and it's interesting, too. We, you know, as humans, we have this sort of social structure where if someone, if there's an emergency or somebody's in need, we all sort of band together. But to learn how to do that when there's not a need can prepare us for when there is. Right. And even if there never is again, uh, you know, some sort of weird utopia, <laughs> we're still all there for each other. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, you know, and so like, if we, if we kind of take a look at this and we water it down to even simpler terms, which is the individual, right? The I, the ourselves, uh, we tend to do this as well as it pertains to our own crises in life, Right. It, it, as it pertains to like our surge capacity. And when we're finally like at the top of that surge capacity, we have this, um, this inclination to basically like not, um, you know, tend to ourselves from a self-care perspective until we are in crisis. And so there's a lot of people that, you know, I, I work with that I call crisis meditators 
they're they they basically are like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. I need to meditate. And then like, they'll get back into like a routine or maybe they'll do yoga or they'll start running again or what have you. And then as soon as things normalize or they stabilize um, and they get to that point where they're in balance again, they fall off the wagon and they're like, okay, everything's great. Now I could stop doing all these things that got me back to that point, as opposed to like building up that reservoir, making sure that we keep putting in uh, additional kind of energy into that bank account uh, so that we have it for the next time and we're not depleted. Yeah, we sort of go into this self-care debt. And, I, and I've seen this too. You know, I've worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs for years. Same, It's the same with um, meds for people with mental health issues. They'll take their meds, then they feel great, then they go off their meds. And uh, that's not how it works. Right. Uh, I mean, there are some meds that work that way, but in general, generally speaking. Now, I wanted to ask you, speaking of, of that, because something else I ran into at the Department of Veterans Affairs was I don't need benefits. I'm fine. I'm, you know, it's 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 some sort of a combo of imposter syndrome or pride mm-hmm. that, that I see. How do you get messaging out? Because the people who are in your community are like stoked to be in it and they're all for it. But there are probably people who aren't who would really benefit from it, but they have these objections, these don't need to help me. I don't need anything. People who have a really hard time asking for help. How do you reach out to those people? Well, I mean, listen, the pandemic has certainly pushed a lot of people who normally would never ask for help into a state of desperation where they honestly didn't have a choice because the government didn't step up in time. And, you know, we, the, the check that we received whenever it was like in May of 2020, uh, for those who received it, like, you know, helped for a very short period of time. And so I thought, I think a lot of people finally were able to get over that hump, so to speak. I think the other thing is that sometimes, um, and this is what we communicate to people when we sort of put the, the messaging out there, is that the, we don't have like a lot of red tape. This is a very basic system of exchange. It's like a one-to-one. It's a donor, a real human being that is connected to another real human being. And so even though you're the recipient of aid in whatever form that looks like, you're actually also really giving something to the person that is fulfilling that need for you, right? Yes, they're feel seen and heard and what have you, but, but I can't even express to you how many individuals that were donors were impacted tremendously, you know, just through that interaction or the ability to feel like I can be of service at a time when I just didn't think that I could be or when I was so depressed or upset about what was going on and felt helpless. And suddenly I feel like I'm of use in this world. Yeah, it's the idea of selfish giving, right? Like it's a win-win. And I also think sometimes people, humans, underestimate how others will react when they ask for help. Like all I can think about is the times I've wanted to break up with somebody or tell somebody some bad news and I struggle and I procrastinate and I put it off because I am scared of this impending sort of self-created anxiety about how they will react to me. And then you do it, you finally say it, and they're like, all right, cool. And you're like, oh, that was it? Why didn't I do that two months ago? So I I think that there's a little bit of a component of that too. And, and, you know, you talk a lot about radical self-care in your your forthcoming book. And I want to 
I want to go over some of those things, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison Gill. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Upstart. If you're carrying around a burdensome debt with a high interest rate month after month, you are not alone. High interest rates make it hard to pay off your debt because you pay that minimum payment and you just don't seem to make a dent in a dent in it. But Upstart can help. So join the thousands of happy borrowers who made that final payment because Upstart can lift the weight off your shoulders. Upstart is a fast, easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online, whether you're paying off credit cards or consolidating high interest debts or funding personal expenses. Over half a million people have used Upstart to get simple, fixed monthly payments. Unlike other lenders, Upstart thinks you're more than just a number. They look at your income and your employment history, and they give you a smart rate. And they can do that with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000, and you can receive your funds in as fast as one business day. After this past year, I know so many people struggling, and so many comedian and gig workers friends of mine have found themselves in financial trouble or having rising credit card debt or just high interest rates. So I recommend everyone out there, check out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Just go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by Quince. When it comes to designer clothes, I can appreciate quality, but I'm not a fan of the super high prices. They're marked up eight to 10 times by retailers, but Quince connects you directly with the factories that make the products for the world's leading luxury brands. So they cut out the middleman and you get the highest quality products at incredibly low prices. I'm so glad I found them. They have incredible apparel, cashmere, bags, bedding, accessories at 50 to 80% less than what I pay for the same quality at most luxury brand stores. At Quince, you'll find the finest quality and wide variety of products. They have washable silk loungewear and PJs, perfect for summer. Italian leather handbags from Florence, 100% grade A Mongolian cashmere sweaters, Belgian linen sheets, five-star hotel quality Turkish cotton bathrobes, which I got, which is amazing. They have so much stuff. And they're these, Quince, the goods are not only incredibly high quality and sold at radically lower prices, but they're made in a sustainable way. And that's very important to us here at The Beans. And with Quince, everything is 100% factory direct. Every Quince product is guaranteed to meet or exceed the quality standards of leading luxury brands, which is why their customers rate them so highly. Best of all, there's free shipping and returns for 365 days a year. And if you're not completely satisfied, you get a full refund. To get from 50 to 80% off top-of-the-line clothing and home goods, plus free shipping, text the word DAILY to 64000. Again, text the word DAILY to 64000. Terms apply. Available at onequince.com slash terms. Just text the word DAILY to 64000. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We were talking to the author of the forthcoming book called Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World, uh, Shelley Tegelski. And before the break, Shelley, we were talking about some pe- reservations people had to getting help, uh, um, this like teeming, looming anxiety about um, which I have all the time, which I know is irrational and you have to try to talk yourself out of. But a lot of this has to do with self-care. And I want to talk about your book here for a minute. It opens up with the story of how you were kidnapped when you were two years old yeah. and you were rescued by a stranger. So let us know. I mean, that seems to kind of dovetail into this conversation we're having. <laughs> yeah. So this stranger was, you know, I identify her and forever will identify her as a good Samaritan who had a sense of agency and which we all have, right? We all, we all have agency. Having a sense of agency is a completely different thing, but she basically made a decision in a split second to 
after I was taken uh, from the Department of Motor Vehicles in Brooklyn, uh, where my mom was getting an eye exam, uh, she basically just decided, okay, I'm, instead of going to look for this girl's mother that I saw like in the waiting room, I'm going to run, I'm going to walk, I should say, after this individual that I know didn't come in with her. And she did. She followed this, this individual for blocks, like city blocks, until she saw that, you know, he entered into a complex and, um, and, just, and just started running back to the DMV, where at that point, like all hell had broken loose, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's remarkable because this story in my family, it's like, a, it's like, a, a, you know, the folklore of the story at this point has been told so many times. And the reaction is always the same. The reaction is always like empathy for my, for my parents, of course, for my mother, what she was going through, or, oh, thank God you were found. Imagine what your life could have looked like. And really like over the years, as I heard the story again and again, I was like, this isn't really even a story about me. It's not a story about like, feel bad for my mom or what could have happened to me? It's a story about in the split second, like, would I a have done the same thing? You know, what was it in this woman that just that she decided to actually rise up and like do quote unquote, do the right thing or get involved. And what is it in all of us that, that, that causes us to in, in, in a moment again of either crisis whether it's our own crisis of a, a person that we, a stranger's crisis or the global crisis that we're con crises, I should say, that we're always living in causes us to finally get off our butts and, and do something. Right. And so that's the investigation of like this book is like, how do we connect the journey, the inner journey of the me, right. Which has been hijacked by the industrial wellness complex and every beauty brand, et cetera, et cetera. For, for, for decades at this point. And how do we connect the journey of the me to the journey of we, which is our community, and the journey of us, which is really about global movements? Where is that th through line? And how do we get from me to us so that the best version of the world we understand starts with the best version of us? And I, I imagine that's what prompted you to become an activist. And and not just that, but you you are a self-proclaimed self-care activist. Talk a little bit about that, because I love to hear about the through lines, the underpinnings of, of these early stories and what sort of guided you to, to where you are now. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I became an activist uh, when I was in middle school. I met my, my parents weren't really like political. They weren't activists. I mean, they, we emigrated, you know, we, we came here from a different country. And so they were just kind of like, Hey, let's stay on the sidelines. We don't want to rock any boats, you know, or express our opinions <laughs> or whatever. And yet I was like, came here when I was really young. So I felt very much American and very much somebody who could like express my opinions. And I befriended a girl in middle school whose parents were very political and um, really more on even like the, the hippie side, right? Like they, they like went through Woodstock, the whole nine yards. And they, uh, she was vegetarian, which was like not even a known thing to me, right? To be able to refuse meat at the dinner table at my parents' house, forget about it, right? And suddenly like at age 12, I was like, wait, that's a thing I can like not eat me right it's like from my, my I just have my big fat Greek wedding in my head like what do you mean you don't eat no meat and then she goes that's okay I make lamb <laughs> <laughs> it, 
my mom totally okay you know I make a fish or like or whatever exactly so yeah I mean it was like it was it was that but then she was very involved my friend Jennifer was very involved in uh Greenpeace and like PETA and I was like knocking on doors she had me canvassing to save whales and the first like Earth Day and like you know, starting a recycling program in our school. And I realized very early on, like, wait a minute, I can actually like make change happen. Like I, yes, one person can actually create the snowball effect, um, you know, in, in your school or in your like local community and, and, and actually contribute to the greater good. And so, so those seeds were planted very early on in me. Right. Um, and when I say like self-care activism, basically this, there was this, this convergence of my 20 plus years studying meditation and mindfulness and practicing it. Right. And my, my activism on the other hand, and just this like beautiful convergence, because what happened was as an activist, especially, especially after the 2016 election, as an activist, what I started to see was the um, impact of activism fatigue and burnout, which is an incredibly real thing. I started to see that, you know, you look at a movement like the Women's March, which was in January of 2017, and just the kind of petering off uh, where you have millions of people are showing up and saying like, okay, we're going to do something. And then suddenly, like after the local chapter started to meet, you go from having 500 women at the first meeting to 300 to 200 to 100. And then like, it's you and the other person, you know, <laughs> wants the free bagels. And so you're, you, you get to a point where you're like, well, wait, well, let's take a step back here. What's happening. And why am I still one of the only people showing up? And I realized, wait a minute, this has a lot to do with the fact that I am trained to be resilient because for 20 years I've been studying mindfulness and I'm very self-aware and I, have, um, you know, the ability to, um, to, to really through compassion, like channel this, these elements of resilience and, and continue to show up and not feel as depleted as a, a, a lay person who maybe doesn't have those tools. Right. So, or hasn't cultivated them. Maybe, you know, they, they, they had them at some point, but didn't continue to cultivate them. So, or doesn't have a doesn't have like a pandemic of love like community to to hold everybody up. Yeah, I mean, well, this was even prior to that, right? So it was like it, it basically made me realize that where I could be of use in this world, especially in the last five years, was to social justice uh, movements, political organizations, individuals who um, really are in the trenches doing the work to help them continue to do the work and continue to show up. And, and so how do we do that? We do that by building communities of care. And really that's what pandemic of love is. It's a, it, one of the pillars of community of care is mutual aid, but communities of care are essentially safety nets, right? When we think about, when people ask me like, what does that mean community of care? And the simplest way that I can explain it to you is the way that my grandfather used to talk in like a nostalgic way about this magical time period a long time ago called back in the day. And like back in the day, everybody knew their neighbors. And when so-and-so next door got sick, you know, somebody came with chicken soup. And when this person lost their job, their kids didn't go hungry. And when this one, you know, passed away, 
we made sure that the community took care of each other. And I know that in a lot of cultures, this very much still exists. But what I could say from my experience of like being able to straddle two different cultures is that here in this country, it really doesn't exist, you know, as much anymore. And we we need to get back to back in the day, which may yeah magical and nostalgic, but it's, you know, it's possible. Yeah. And I think if you open the door to it, people naturally gravitate to it. One of the biggest unintended consequences and the best part of this entire podcast, going back to the Muller She Wrote podcast, is the the community of care that was created out of it. And uh, that we we all uh, get together. We all support each other. If somebody needs a break from the news, like I felt like my job was to bring the shit show news fire hose <laughs> to people it with a kind of a little bit of humor and lilt and yeah. a, a dose of good news at the end. And but then this community that ever that ever, I feel like people gravitate toward that. They need it. They want it. I think uh, as you know, being mostly the social creatures that we are, yeah. we crave that. And when something when something has when there's an opportunity to create it. Yeah. And I think that is why the pandemic of love did so well and and why what you're doing, you know, my, my sign off on my show is take care of each other, take care of yourself, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. It's so important. But I think we gravitate toward that. And we're and I think we're starved of it, having been through this pandemic, being yeah. so separated. Yes, it definitely put a magnifying glass on a lot of the issues we came into the pandemic with. And now hopefully you know, we can come out of it into whatever the new normal looks like, right? This new order that we keep talking about and not just go back to the way it was, but actually reconstruct as we're, you know, we're, we're yelling to like, we need to dismantle systems and we need to tear this down. It's like, well, what are we replacing those systems with, right? So in our personal lives, in our communities, in our circles of influence, right? Even just look at the first kind of circle that, that the ring that's just around us, whether it's, it's includes only our family members, maybe, or maybe family and close friends. What are we doing to formalize those discussions around what are your obstacles? Do you have a formalized self-care plan? What can I do to remove one of those obstacles for you? And then in turn, what can you do for me? you know, to remove one of those obstacles for me so that I can tend to myself. That's really the important question. Yeah. There's that mutual aid. It works in so many ways, tangible and intangible. I appreciate your time today, Shelly. Can you tell everyone, because we are in pre-sale mode for this book, very important mode, as we all know. Uh, (laughs) Tell everyone where they can get your book right now. Everywhere online. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, to your favorite indie bookstore. Um, and you know walmart.com etc you can basically find it anywhere it's it's uh, sit down to rise up uh chelsea handler is writing the forward and uh, yeah so cool and my meditation teacher of t- over two decades sharon salzberg is writing the afterward so i hope that it provides your listeners with the tools that they need to become self-care activists not just for themselves behalf of everybody else in their community. That's so wonderful. Everybody go find it. Sit down to rise up how radical self-care can change the world. Thank you so much for your time today. Shelly Tagelski, I appreciate you. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, Beans listeners, it's AG. And this segment of the pod is brought to you by Monk Pack, making snacks that taste amazing, but have close to no sugar. We all know healthy snacks have a bad reputation because honestly, they're not very good and they don't fill you up and they're not satisfying and they don't have the crunch 
and they don't have the salt or the sweet that you crave. And this episode, sponsored by Monk Pack, they make snacks that taste like our favorite treats, but with only one gram of sugar or less. I am always on the lookout for delicious, healthy snacks. I'm a grazer. I love snacking. And the Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, only two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. So they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle. They're perfect to take on the go. I like to take them with me on my jogs, and then I can have them right afterwards. Give me a little replenish there of the protein that I need that my body craves. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars are the perfect balance of sweet and savory with a little crunch from whole seeds and nuts, but they're soft and chewy and delicious. And the flavors are amazing. My favorite right now is caramel sea salt. You have to try it. It is so good. Uh, What's not to like? And since they're packed with protein, they're filling and satisfying. I'm kind of obsessed, and so I'm always fully stocked. And I did that by signing up for a subscription to my favorite flavors, which saves me 10% on every order, and they ship directly to me. Getting these delicious treats delivered to me on a regular basis has helped my effort to eat healthier. So try it for yourself. You can get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by going to monkpack.com and entering our code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they will exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, enter the code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout, save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. And today's show is also brought to you by this new amazing thing I found called Context Travel. Oh my gosh, the world is opening back up again. We're going to travel. And if you're like me, you're already planning your next trip. The absolute best place to start your journey is context learning. With context, I'm already learning about all the destinations I plan to visit. It's like getting insider knowledge of the go-to places for my next big trip before I even get on a plane. Context runs live expert-led courses and tours virtually around the globe. Travel with context across the globe to over 60 cities across six continents, visiting the world's cultural and historical capitals. I'm so pumped for this. Last time I got a chance to travel overseas, I learned so much about history uh, of my family because that's where I went was from the family origins places. So exploring new places has always been such an amazing learning experience. And the best part about context is you skip the line and off hours access, you get off hours access to popular sites. On any given day, you can uncover ancient Rome with an archaeologist, Go behind the ropes at the Louvre with an art expert. Walk the streets of St. Petersburg with a local guide, all from the comfort of your home. It's a great way to prep for your vacation. There's a variety of tour destinations from half day to seven day plus. So check out their website and read some testimonials like this one from Susan in Los Angeles, who said this tour was like a walking TED Talk, massively informative and entertaining. We can't wait to recommend it. Daily Beans listeners, if you love travel and learning like I do, Uh, you're going to love this. For a limited time, when you buy one virtual tour, you'll get a second tour for free when you use our promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at contextlearning.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-X-T learning.com. Again, use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at contextlearning.com. It's so great. You're going to love it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. And it's Friday, and Friday means it's Amy Carrero Day. Amy, how are you? Eee, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good today. I'm doing good. It's end of the week. It's Friday. Mm-mm-mm. Your tattoos look like extra amazing today. Oh, thank you. I think I've been moisturizing a little bit more. Oh, really? Sort of helps them stand out. So. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay, so I, as you know, I have a new tat. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to keep it moisturized, but because it's still healing, they say don't over moisturize it because then it won't heal proper. It needs to dry out a little bit in order to 
um, heal. So once it's healed, I'm going to be slathering it on because, man, your tats look great today. Thank you. And there's some there's product now. Actually, you can buy product to to put on your tattoos to make them stand out. It's like almost oh. like a it's like a grease almost. It's pretty great. OK, well, I'm getting the grease. Is it in the itchy phase or are you done with the itchy phase? I'm done with the itchy phase. Thankfully, right now I'm in like the phase where it start. It's feeling like skin already. But I I. I read somewhere that it takes about a month to heal properly and it's only been two weeks. So I'm like, I can't believe it's already healed. So I'm just assuming it's not and still doing the, you know, the soap like every like three times a day with the thing. But I'm looking forward to getting that grease because I'm already like looking at pictures from when I, the day I did it. And I was like, it's not as dark anymore. <laughs> yeah. And you also have to remember, you've got some healing skin layers over there that will uh, right. eventually slough off. So it'll yeah. be fantastic. Looking forward to that. To quote Eddie Izzard. All right, let's get, uh, let's get into the good news because, you know, we got to get into the weekend and I'm excited about it. And everybody knows at today at 4, 4 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to have our, our Zoom happy hour with patrons. So if you want to join that, you got to be a patron. If you want to be a patron, you just go to patreon.com and look for Daily Beans or Muller She Wrote. Either work. Love it. You get both shows ad free. Woohoo! When you're That's a patron. Good. Yeah. And I, I think I talked about this earlier in the show, but we're going to have for Muller She Wrote this weekend, we're going to have Jill Weinbanks on. So I'm super excited to talk to her. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know how I have this job. Truly, I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm thankful, but I'm confused. But I'm not going to press you're you. She-ra. You're She-Ra. You're <laughs> she And yeah. you made that incredible 101 <laughs> series on Instagram. And you're just. Well, I'm going to have to do something brilliant. to keep my keep my. Uh, Keep my keep. Is that a thing? Keep my <laughs> I keep. Know. I don't know, but I like Earn it. my keep. There it is. Earn my keep. Keep. Yeah. But so you already have it. So now I guess it's keep your keep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, Love it. I'm sure you're fine. One day I'm going to get a message and you're like, sorry, I'm in a giant blockbuster film. I have to oh. go to Australia for eight months. And No, oh, I'll still do it. I'll still I'll do it on my lunch break, baby. Yeah. I'll still like from your trailer. I'm going to make you call in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, we have some great good news submissions today and some corrections. Let's start with the corrections from Rachel. Pronoun she and her gentle correction, she says. I love that. Thank you. She says, beloved listener from the kitchen table days wants to know we no longer use the term gender nonconforming. It subtly sends the message that there is a gender to which one should conform. We now yeah, use the that term. Makes sense. Yeah, right. It's kind of like a retronym. So we now use the yeah. term gender diverse. Gender diverse. I love it. So grateful mm-hmm. for your voice for us queer folks and uh, as a mental health professional, the daily reminder for everyone to take care of their mental health. Pet tax below. Feel free to what the mutt, though. I don't expect the answers. One day I'll DNA breed test Finn. My guess oh. is Catahoula mix. Finn was found on the side of the highway in Missouri, where I moved oh. from Dallas. Uh, to Chicago in the before times so young he still had puppy breath people are the worst and doggos are the best love you all look at this baby wow I don't I have no idea I have no guesses oh look at the drool though that's cute wait where's the drool hold on oh 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 my god (laughs) it looks like the drool is frozen like it was really cold outside or something and the drool just like froze there like little icicles yeah yeah oh what a baby okay this is so wrong my guess is is there australian is australian shepherd a thing i don't know i'm bad at this it looks a little it looks finn looks a little aussie and catahoula you're right 
But let us know right in when you get your when yes. you get your uh, DNA breed test results, please. What a cutie pie. Okay, cool. Uh, next up, ooh, okay. I, I I have to say I read this one in advance because I saw the picture and I was like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Okay, next up from Nadia Lane, she pronouns she her for Amy in response to the Bad Dragon saga. So I think the claw you're referring to is the toy called Duke's Paw. Yes, I looked it up after. It's Duke's Paw. And despite extensive research, I was unable to find an example of anyone using it in a video. And I personally (laughs) don't much. I'm assuming. Yeah, I research. It's like um, a Duke's Paw instructional tutorial. Um, And personally, I don't much fantasy. Oh, I don't much enjoy fantasy content. I don't know if it's enjoy or we're missing a word there. So I don't much fantasy content. My best guess is that it's for foot and or tickle play. I did, however, have a fun little video concept for this toy. Not to worry. It's pretty PG. Scene. Oh, I can't. Oh, I'm so excited about this part. Scene. It's a beautiful day. I'm tending to my garden in a flowing sundress when out of nowhere, I feel a little tickle on my neck. I turn around to see what it might be there's nothing there. Then there's a tickle on my arm and another on the back of my knee. This claw is tickling me all over. I begin to giggle uncontrollably as this paw belonging to who knows what is hitting all of my ticklish spots. I can't take it anymore. And I fall to the ground out of exhaustion from all the laughing. Then the sprinklers turn on. (laughs) Squirting emoji. (laughs) The creature leaves. And the camera lingers long enough to show my soaking wet clothes, hugging all around the right curves and fades out into a picture of Duke's paw. <laughs> okay, I have to explain something. So I, somebody also on Twitter responded and with a similar answer. I don't think it was Nadia. I think it was someone else that, that it, it's maybe for like a foot thing and maybe like you know, maybe a fantasy of like always wanting to be like smushed by a dragon's foot. So you might, one might, you know, maybe want to sniff between its claws or, you know, slap themselves with it. So I'm glad we got to the, to the bottom of it. And I'm, and I'm extra glad that it's not meant to be inserted anywhere because it looks like it would rip you up. (laughs) So I'm very glad to know that no one is trying to do that. So if you do get Duke's paw, just know that it's, you know, it's more for like the suggestion of a dragon's foot, maybe on your face or on your junk, but not necessarily in your junk. I feel like I feel like that the website that sells it should have a description of potential uses uses. I agree. Here's the thing. There's a million colors that it comes in. There should be a description like there should be like, please, you know, when playing with this, understand that it's just decorative or it's just like it's not to be inserted anywhere or you might have three degree tears. I mean, let's <laughs> let's call it what it is. No amount of lube is going to help that. None. Yeah. You know, just put like uh, tickle play. OK, tickle play. Right, cool. Got it. All right. Next up from John pronouns he and him. Let's play what the mutt. Aww. I introduced Pepper to you about six months ago. When he was a little 20-pound ball of cuteness. Now, six months later, he's a 75-pound bundle of cuteness. Just as sweet and friendly as ever. We've had the DNA test done, and he's a mix of four breeds. Two of them should Whoa. be pretty easy to figure out, but I'm very curious to see if you can guess the other two. Okay, this just okay. looks like a black lab to me. A and lab. Yeah, it looks like a black lab. And our producer did not put the did not put the answers in here. So 
Okay, wait, but look at the face. Is there a little pit in there, like in the second picture? Yep, and look at the black spots on the tongue. That means chow, right? Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So lab, chow, pity, and then there's probably like something that doesn't even make any sense, like a beagle or something. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be like chihuahua, but yeah, beagles probably, or like duck hound. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're right. Definitely, but definitely like lab and pit bull. And like you said, chow. Maybe mastiff. And, oh, know. yes. I see it in the face. Yeah. See the wrinkles kind of. Yeah. Okay. Please let us know. We're invested now. Yeah. And the answers aren't here. So I don't know if you failed to include them or if our producer failed to include them. But seriously, uh, John, I th- I want to know. I think lab, chow, pity, mastiff. Or, or just one of the, like a Chinese crest is something that doesn't belong. Yes. And got totally washed out over time. So anyway. love, love, love. Okay. Next up from anonymous. Hi, period. As a follow up to your story about the law recently passed that forbids the cops from lying to minors, the Supreme Court ruling that made it legal for cops to lie is Frazier versus cop. I have uh, referred to it a time or two when dealing with the NYPD when I know that what they are saying is bullshit. These are my niece's cats, period. (laughs) The one in the foreground is Cheyenne. Oh, what a beautiful name. She is the queen. The other one is Mercury. He is a handful. He is the kind of cat you won't come up, who won't come up to you to say hi. He is going to wait until you are asleep, then jump on top of you. (laughs) That's what he does to me whenever I am cat sitting. By the way, also she has a third cat, a Siamese named Blue. Every time he sits on my lap, I fire up Eiffel 64 song in my head. <laughs> I Eiffel, Eiffel, I don't know. I only know that song because of your Flip It Blue segment. Oh. Oh, and look at Mercury. You can tell he's always trying to hide, but you can see For him. For sure. I love cats that are bad at hiding. They think they're hiding, but you can just fucking see them. Yeah, yeah. They think they're they think they're clever. Also, I love this portrait. Is This looks professional. Is this like a portrait session? It looks What's like going they're going to drop an album is what it looks like. <laughs> it's Simon and Garfunkel. It is. Now, Amy, so you know Eiffel 64 song. You know it. I know you've heard it. I'm it's, sure I have. I'm bad it's with names. It's the I'm blue. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. And no one knows the lyrics to that song. We use that. Right. For our for our flip it blue segment, the lyrics are weird. It's like, and there was a guy, and his house was blue, and everything was blue. Oh, right, and was his blue in it, blue. and the blue was yeah. It's really a weird song. <laughs> I have okay. I have like the weirdest memory tied to this song. If you could, if you could just spare me the the minute, mm, the first time I ever stuffed my bra, mm. I was uh, for some reason I had like gone to a friend's house. She had an older sister. She was blasting this ca- this song in the car, and I was like dancing to it and I remember wearing I was wearing this like white like who stuffs their bra when they're wearing like a white shirt but I was like a teen like what did I know Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like toilet paper like Victoria's Secret had come out with this like little padding you could slip in and I remember like like going crazy and spending the whole day after like going crazy to that song like just you know hanging out with my friend and then when I got home at night I realized I looked in the mirror and I saw that my padding had come out to one of the sides and you could see it through the shirt so that's my terrible memory um that that song brings up and from now on you will sing their boobs. Your boobs coming out. Yeah. There you go. Yep. 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 All right. Next up 
from uh, looks like MK in ABG, pronoun she and her. One of my dad's many swears was his version of count your blessings when one of us seven kids went up to him with what he viewed as a petty gripe. He would say, scratch your ass and get glad. (laughs) He worked 37 years at the same place, though in a variety of jobs. His last job before retiring was an HR representative, where part of the role was working with employees who were in conflict with their managers. I was surprised how well he did in the job, as all I could think of was him telling someone, scratch your ass and get glad. You're lucky you have a job. (laughs) Fast forward uh, a few years, I became a manager at the same place. I have to admit, I lost count of the number of times that phrase crossed my mind when dealing with certain staff. I never said it out loud. But just thinking it helped. Here's a picture of my happy place, Viacito Creek, which feeds Viacito Lake east of Durango, Colorado. I wow. hope I'm pronouncing that right. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, hey, that's beautiful. Wow. That's a really good happy place. Yeah. I remember MK I when I was uh, young, we took the Durango Silverton train and it was just absolutely gorgeous. What? I love trains. Did you take it up to like from from California to wherever? No, we went to Colorado, right? With, with my Girl Scout troop. Yeah. And there, there's this <gasps> thing called the Durango Silverton train. And it goes from Durango to Silverton. And it's just just absolutely beautiful. Breathtaking views, vistas God. like this. That's so beautiful. I, I, I'm obsessed and I want to go there. Also, this, I'm, if they still have it. I'm sure they do. <laughs> Scratch your ass and get glad is also could be um, the the commercial for don't get mad get glad what's that what's that don't get mad get glad that's for glad trash bags there you go scratch your ass and get glad Ugh. okay i'm just I saying f- we can monetize this <laughs> i found it durango silverton narrow gauge railroad the durango okay. and silverton narrow gauge railroad often abbreviated as the d and sng is a three foot narrow gauge heritage railroad that operates on 45 miles of track between Durango and Silverton in Colorado. Yeah. Beautiful. I love Colorado so much. I got married there. I love it there. It's so like just the most magical. Okay. Next up from Donna pronouns. She, her Hi, beans team, longtime listener of MSW and now DB cleanup opening args and the bureau from the UK have two locations for where'd you say? Okay, here we go again. English is my second language. Walton Liddell and Barn Barnoldswick. Walton Liddell and Barnoldswick. I was going to attach a voice file so you can hear how they are said, but the system wouldn't let me. So I'll try and give you a phonetic view. Answers below. Okay, wait, wait. Okay. wait. Should, should we figure? Okay, you first. I'm gonna guess that these are that these are that, uh, what happens usually is they're very shortened when it comes to these yes. kinds uh, of names with these British style names. Right. Yes. So it's probably like Waltondale and yeah, Waltondale like Bar Barlzik Barn- or something, you know, Barlzik. Like just, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something okay. like that. All right. What do we got? OK. Yeah, Watlandale. Right. OK, close. Oh. Watlandale. And there we go. Barnoldswick is Barlick. Okay. That good night. I'm done. <laughs> what? Watladale and Barlick from Barnold's Dick. Dwick. Barnold. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate that. Barnold Listen, they're not Dwick. They're not going to waste their time trying to pronounce these. They're no. just going to make up a name. Barlick. Um, I, I love that. Ladies, thank you so much for keeping us to date with all the news. I wish we had something similar in the UK for our local news. Oh. Hey, spin off. I know, right? 
I smell a spinoff and then some sort Love of it. fun, you know, uh, sort of sitcom -y Wait, theme yeah, song. yeah, no, it's AG goes to the UK, and but it's like, but it's like you and like, you know, Mary-Kate and Ashley used to make those like four, four straight to video, whatever VHSs. And they're all like dressed in like, they're like, the twins take Paris. And it's just like <laughs> you and like, I don't know, one of those fancy hats. I pay to see that. Yeah, like when swears in news is what you want to say, let's listen to AG in UK or something. I don't know. Yes. Damn, you're, you're, lucky. you're a natural. I would have to learn an entirely new country's shit show news. Uh, next <laughs> yes. up, it's time for Amy's Court. Gung gung. Dun, dun. From anonymous uh, astrophysicist adjacent Amy's oh Court amicus filing regarding 3 a.m. in the morning pet peeve. May it please the court. Night and morning. Okay, so remember when they were, people were saying 3 a.m. Yes, in the yes. morning instead of just 3 a.m.? That's right. All right. May it please the court. Night and morning are relative terms, especially in regard to where you want to be when you want to be sleeping. A.m. and P.M. are specific terms denoting before noon or midday, mm -hmm. the time mm -hmm. when the sun is highest in the sky. Note that the opposite of midday is midnight, which is measured as 12 a.m. and literally means the middle of the night. So a.m. cannot mean morning, as claimed by the plaintiff. Mm. Mm. When you stay out till closing time, 3 a.m. is night and waking up before noon is morning. Yeah, we call it fratter day, actually. Yeah. Or yeah, sunder day. Yeah, because yeah. yes. it's three in the morning, but it's still Friday night. People who, get, people who get up work before 5 a.m. can call 3 a.m. morning, but I never want to be awake that early. <laughs> the plaintiff's concern uh, about pedantry contradicting a stated annoyance are reasonable, but the court must deal with facts. Ignorance of the laws and the standards measuring time are not a defense, so plaintiff's claim of strict redundancy should be denied and the defendant should be granted leniency. Oh, oh man, this is a good point. And because, and, and I'll tell you this, and I'm sure, A.G., you know this, you know, when you do a night shoot or something or like if you're, you know, if you're doing a late show and it goes into Fratterday then or or if you're yeah, like, look, if you're doing night shoots, like I remember we did like two weeks of night shoots on this thing once. So like we would actually call lunch the meal we would have at like, yeah, five in the morning. Yeah. You know, or like or like or like three in the morning. That would be lunch. Yeah. So yeah, we, I've taken lunch at midnight. You know, I've see I see what I understand. I see what the anonymous is saying. And um, fuck. However, however, OK, I still stand by my feeling that there is only one 3 a.m. in the 24 hour time period. So there's no need yeah. to supplement right. it with by saying morning or night. Now, if you want to if you want to say it was Friday night, of course, it was 3 a.m., or three in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I would say 3 a.m. and not the morning because I don't consider 3 a.m. the morning. Right. But, you know, just, you know, Aristotle's perfect form. But, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm just I'm still pretty solidly in the camp that if you say a.m. or p.m., you do not need to supplement it with any other descriptive yeah. word because there is only one time on the clock that exists in a 24-hour period that is 3 a.m. That's very true. And also, I feel like if for some reason you have to say, you know, like if you're an astronaut or something and like it looks like what it looks like at all times of the existence, then, then you might want to say, well, it's 3 a.m., but really I've been up since 5 p.m. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I whatever. Like you could always say but that that's such a that's such a like rare case 
that yeah. I think you're right. I think we should stand by our ruling. And you bring up astronauts, which are government employees. And when you work for the government, they go by a different mm-hmm. system of time. Right. 3 a.m. in the morning is 0300. Just 3003. Right, right. Yeah. Or if you're talking 3 p.m., then what is that? 1500. Yes. Right? Okay. So they don't even use the a.m. p.m. Uh, denotations, which, which, you know, maybe we could recommend maybe switching to military time, the 24 hour clock, then we would probably have a, then we would probably have a court case as to whether they call it 0,000 or 2,400 when it's, when the clock strikes midnight. Woo, that is, that's a whole Pandora's box. We don't want to go down Mm. and to open. What? Mm. That makes no sense. But no, Mm. I hear you. I hear you. The only time I guess that that would be appropriate is when you're dealing with stupid actors who are like, what, what's 2,400? So they're like, (laughs) I don't know what 24 hours. Midnight. Is that 8 o'clock? Midnight. Mi- ba- Amy, this, okay, you know what isn't my second language? Math. And that <laughs> makes perfect mathematical sense. 2400 is midnight. So I'm confusing myself, but I'm just going to go with AG and say we stand by our ruling. Mm-hmm. And then you could also just say any time, you know, between like 1 a.m. And, and 5 a.m. is just zero dark 30. It doesn't even really matter what time it is, but that's how it's referred to. And then we could talk about it Zulu is. time. What uh, is Zulu time? I, well, I've always gotten that confused with military time. A lot of people have different feelings about what Zulu time means. But if you okay. if you just look it up, we go, uh, let's see here, Zulu time. It is Greenwich Mean Time. So that's kind of the zero clock that the world goes by. GMT. Okay. You've seen you've seen yes. it annotated as GMT. Mm-hmm. In the military, yep, we called yep. it Zulu time. So that when wherever you are in the glo- on the globe, uh you can you can it's say the same time. Right. Yeah, right, right. right. Uh-huh. You can oh. say I'm I'm at 0600 Zulu. You know. And then and then, and then the person you're talking to can do their their math. Okay, okay, that's fair. I I I see how that makes sense. It's just, just a I see how that zone. makes sense. Yeah. It uh, yeah. Okay. Well, thank God I'm not in the military for many reasons. Mostly because I would. <laughs> that would be, be the least. <laughs> be the least of your worries. That would be the least of my worries. <laughs> not but you it personally, somehow, but the least of anyone's worries. <laughs> no, really, the least of my worries because, but because I should think about like my general athleticism, my ability to keep my fucking mouth shut, like not good, not great at those things, but I would be worried about the math and the time. So that, okay, that well, just can, goes to show. Can, Cause we were talking last week about your Miami coming out yes. and I was hoping maybe we could write a script about you uh, being drafted uh, and, but you're Miami, you're Miami, yeah. Amy. Oh man. Uh, and, and I think that, I think Miami Amy in the military would be an outstanding. Listen, uh, it would be a very short story. It would be a very short story. She would be uh, dishonorably discharged for some shit. And like what? I didn't go. I'm not AWOL. I just went to go get like, I don't know, a ham sandwich, a Cuban sandwich. So stupid. But listen, you write it and I'll be in it. I'll do anything. My My wagon is hitched to yours. We'll make it a Saturday Night Live sketch. And, we have, and the title will be longer than the sketch itself because it is you just being dishonorably discharged <laughs> for going AWOL. <laughs> Literally, was I was like, what? I was just getting, getting everybody cafecitos. Yeah, it's really <laughs> What do you not, mean I be back know. at 2300? <laughs> yeah, is that seven? <laughs> Can't. Uh, well, thank you, Amy. It's been delightful. Always, as always. Delightful. 
Uh, I hope you have a wonderful restful weekend. And do you have anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, happy Pride, mm. everyone. Um, I think it's I think it's I hope that I don't know. I think we open in California June 15th. So I don't know yep. what that means for parades or anything. But I hope I hope that they're, they're, we get celebrations and and, you know, it's I feel like it's a great way to like sort of kick off the return of life and uh yeah so happy pride to everyone and i hope that it's a good one because last year's sucked Mm, yep but we made it yeah we did we made it and uh i'm sure if there are no like city or municipal sanctioned uh parades that there will there will be some uh locally organized uh grassroots pride celebrations those would probably be better anyway (laughs) let's be honest 100 percent All right, everybody, I hope you have a great weekend. Maybe we'll see you at 4 p.m. if you're a patron for the happy hour. Until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. Yay! The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.